Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a journey of commercial discovery, the only show dedicated to the great stories and people driving Australia's unique innovation and tech landscape. Welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley. Today I'm talking to Main Sequence Ventures partner, Martin Dersma. Welcome, Martin. Hi, James. Thank you for inviting me along. Look, we're, we're going to talk about space today. The industry that I get very excited about and some of my favourite companies that I follow are involved in the space sector. I want to know at, at Main Sequence Ventures, Martin, who did you have to kill to get the job of running the, their space portfolio? I don't know about you, James, but I've always been a bit of a space nut since uh, when I was a young boy because uh, I can actually remember sitting on a, a brown mat at infant school watching Neil Armstrong land on the moon. So maybe that dates me about how old I am, but uh, I think that got me interested in space from a very early age. And uh, when we set up Main Sequence, we actually identified space as a good commercial opportunity and we have a, uh, a theme in our fund which we call Bridge the Gap to Space where we're looking at interesting new technology companies that are emerging here in Australia. And indeed, we actually also create companies at Main Sequence that are addressing key components of the space ecosystem. All right. Those are uh, areas that I am going to get into in just a moment. Yeah, it is fascinating. Like I'm probably a similar vintage to you, Martin. And uh, I've always been fascinated by the space sector. Um, And I thought it was guys just like literally guys just our age who really got into this stuff. But I don't think that's the case now. Like everyone is excited by what's happening in space right now. When Elon Musk, I first saw Elon's SpaceX reusable rocket land on its tail, it, it literally blew my mind, but kind of reignited that, oh my God, look at that. And I wonder if, uh, you know, it's kind of a broader appeal these days, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think in the last... I'd probably say like 10 years, as we've seen the rise of commercial space endeavours, like, as you mentioned, SpaceX has really reignited, I think, the general public interest in space because people are seeing what's happened. I think prior to that, it was sort of happening, but it didn't have the publicity, didn't have, you know, the interesting stuff happening. And like you just said, seeing a rocket come down and land vertically is like science fiction, right? So it's like science fiction is actually happening in our lives again, and I think that's exciting people. And and certainly here, you know, in Australian context, you know, we're seeing, and I'm seeing certainly lots of young engineers, lots of young technologists really come up with cool and interesting ideas around space startups and space things they could do. I think excited by you know, companies like SpaceX and what's happening um, in the commercial launch area. So let me ask you this, as I always do, I've had a forensic look at your LinkedIn page. Now, you've gone to Sydney University and done a Bachelor of Engineering, Electrical Engineering, Computer Science. You had a career in, I guess, standard IT, as you might call it. You've been an advisor in a bunch of different uh, academic institutions. Anyway, you've landed as a partner in VC working in the space sector, like, you know, incredibly exciting job. So if you're talking to someone leaving school today, what are you telling them to do? Like, what would be your advice? You went to Sydney Uni, you did your electrical engineering. What would be your advice to someone coming through now to get into some of these exciting opportunities? I think I would probably start by saying that if you're thinking about doing anything interesting in your career, then a STEM degree of some form is the way to go. I think the most interesting things are opportunities involved somewhere in science, technology, engineering, you know, maths, that and physics, you know, that's sort of the driver of new innovation and technology. And if you have some of those degrees underneath your belt, you can go pretty much anywhere. 
okay? So that's the first step I'd encourage people because if you're working in, in that sort of area, you're actually creating new value. It's a bit like a creator where you're designing, you're building, you're discovering new things, which is actually a very fulfilling type of role because you create something from nothing. You're like a creator. And so once you get into that, it doesn't matter which industry. You could be like, yeah, as you said, I sort of started in regular IT, maybe. That's where I cause. But I'm certainly, you know, the, the lessons you learn from that can equally be applied in a sort of a space industry or, you know, other interesting areas as well. All right, let's get into space. So what's exciting right now? Australia, I guess, I mean, this is probably unfair to say to a whole cohort of people who have been in this all the way through, but Australia's a late arrival into a focus in this sector. So what's Australia got that's interesting? What's an area, you know, where we can capitalise? What, what's the stuff we do well in this space? Well, I might actually surprise some of your listeners on the podcast that actually Australia was the third nation to launch a satellite from its own soil. So back in 1967, we launched a satellite called Reasat, WRESAT from Woomera. In typical Australian ingenuity, the Americans had a leftover rocket from one of their programs. And Australia said, hey, can we use that? You said, sure, fine. So a group there at Woomera basically built a small satellite, launched it on top of this rocket, and we were the third nation to orbit a satellite successfully from our own soil. So we've got history, right? We go back to 1967, but I think as you say, we sort of had a bit of a hiatus where we didn't understand the true commercial potential of the space industry for a long time. And while we've actually been active in the space industry, for example, you know, the CSIRO runs the Deep Space Tracking Network here in this part of the world for NASA. So, and it was very heavily involved in all the moon missions, you know, the, the critical communications when Neil Armstrong was landing on the moon came through Australia. The same thing for all the deep space missions that have, have been happening through Voyager. The communications are happening through Australia. So we've actually had a, a strong connection to the space industry, but I think we haven't recognised the ability for us to take it from a commercial lens or develop some of our own sovereign capability. And that's really what is the sea change that's occurred in the last four or five years where we're recognising as a nation that space is both a commercial opportunity, a jobs creator opportunity, as well as a sovereign capability need because space is now the next sort of a, a cliche word, the next commercial frontier. You know, we're starting to see lots of new commercial opportunities appear uh, through space, whether it's uh, Earth observation, whether it's launch. You know, there's a range of things that are all important for us as a global society, I suppose. And um, those are also commercial opportunities. And, and that's why we now have an Australian Space Agency, which is helping coordinate between the other space agencies. Because if you want to be in the space game, you need a national space agency. And one of its most very important roles is how we collaborate with the US, how we collaborate with the other nations in, in Europe or the Japanese space agency, et cetera. So that sets us up well as a global player in the, um, in the space industry. Yeah, okay. Look, I think um, the structure of the industry is very different now to uh, you know those Apollo days we talked about before, even when that original Australian satellite was launched. But we'll get into that in a sec. Just before we do... Sorry, this is this is going to sound a little bit a little bit weird. We're, we've got some interesting space companies coming on now. You guys are investors in in some of them, but we we're into rockets and launching. We're into satellites and building small satellites here, and we're we're into you know things like quantum sensing from space. Are we spreading ourselves thin? Is there an area where Australia has very specific and and very deep niche, or all of those niches are viable and worth doing? I think all of those are viable and worth doing for, for different reasons. So I think the way I bucketize what you just said, think about it as launch, communications, and sensors. So I'll, I'll chat about those sort of 
and three is launch. Okay, the satellite industry has changed dramatically in the last, you know, probably five to eight years. Around you can now build a small satellite, whether it's a CubeSat that might be I'll pick a number of five to ten kilos or a hundred kilogram, two hundred kilogram class satellite. They can do real meaningful work, right? And it's all through the miniaturization of the electronics, the sensors, the power systems. You know, previously satellites were $500 million jobs that you put, you know, or billion-dollar jobs you put at geosynchronous orbit will cost billions of dollars. You can now actually launch your own satellite. And James, if you wanted to, you could probably launch a satellite for well under a million dollars, assuming you had a little bit of cash lying around, and have it do Earth observation, right? It's that easy, theoretically, to launch your own satellite now. So that's the big change, right? And so from an Australian context, I think it's critical that we have sovereign launch capability. The ability to launch these new classes of satellites from our own soil. And Australia is actually ideally positioned to do that. We have lots of space, no pun intended. We also have lots of water around us, which makes it easy to launch satellites from our soil. And indeed, there are a number of entities that are setting up launch facilities or planning to set up launch facilities here in Australia. And they want to attract you know, companies from overseas as well to Australia for all those reasons. We've got a stable economy, you know, good conditions, you know, lots of places to launch satellites from so we could actually become a bit of a, a launch a mecca you know for the globe as well but coming back to why it's important is that you know we need to start developing our own industry and obviously main sequence has it has invested in a launch company as well here in australia because we need to be able to rapidly respond to different sort of strategic needs commercial needs and you can't always rely on overseas launch companies to do that because today is a massive bottleneck where if you want to launch a satellite, you've got to wait in line. It might take you six months. It might take you 12 months. right? And that's not viable from a commercial perspective. If you've got a, a commercial thing you want to get up there for a particular purpose, you don't want to wait up to a year to get on some launch rocket to get it up there. So that's why we need to have a launch capability here in Australia. The next area is really interesting around communications. Well, Australia has a rich history of communications going back through radio astronomy where we've got lots of expertise. Australia is the world leader in radio astronomy. Actually, that led to Wi-Fi. You know, some of the technology there allowed us to develop Wi-Fi technologies. And so we've invested in a number of companies and a couple of our companies are very strong in the communications area for, for that reason, right, coming from that legacy. So I think that's a strength where we can do things. And the other piece, the third area of strength in Australia, I think, is around sensors. We have a lot of sensor capability in our research institutions, both in universities and CSIRO and others to develop. For example, advanced infrared sensors and all sorts of, uh, now we're moving towards quantum-enabled sensors. These are all things that can allow Australia has got some good strategic edge and are opportunities for us. Okay. Uh, I'm very excited about the fact that we seem to be on the cusp of launching an Australian rocket from Australia with Australian satellites on board. I don't think that's in our future in the next several years, isn't it? It is indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, we're uh, pretty excited about that. And um one of our companies that we've invested in, which is Gilmore Space Technologies, they're one of the leading contenders to be one of the first to launch a, uh, a satellite from Australian soil. Uh, they're a Queensland-based company and um, are doing some wonderful things there to develop a vehicle that can launch the sort of two to 300 kilogram class satellites, which is a lot where the uh, industry is going today. Yeah, Gilmore Space is literally one of my favourite startup companies. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of exciting companies around at the moment in Australia, but Gilmore is amazing because we talk in Australia about ambition. You know, there are people who lament there isn't enough in ambition in this country. That isn't ambitious. It is indeed. And, and, and Adam Gilmore, who's the, the CEO and founder of the business, is absolutely one of those ambitious visionary leaders that 
basically pulls everybody along behind him. This is his vision that is really helping drive the company and the launch industry here in Australia. Yeah, amazing. And so, and we will have that capability based on that ambition and vision. So, uh, you know, in this country for years to come, which is amazing. Uh, let's talk structurally. Let's talk about the Australian Space Agency to start with. Yes, they're a regulator. You know, government was certainly late into the game as far as establishing a space agency, but we've got one now. It's been going for a couple of years. Talk to me about what role they play. It's certainly different from the old days. And Apollo space agency and nasa was really the central point of everything but that's you know as far as government owned and run venture but that's not the case now talk to me about how the australian space agency works and then we'll talk about how it might work yeah look the way i think about the australian space agency is it's been going for about two to three years now it started off um, mainly working as a body to help with regulation to help our industry be able to do what it needs to do, as well as collaborating with the international agency. And a big focus of the agency has been collaboration agreements with NASA and with Europe and with Japan, etc., which is awesome. And I think of it as like an adolescent, right? It's it sort of started that way by necessity, and it's now starting to evolve and grow and shift, right? And as it becomes a teenager and starts to get to its next phase of growth, I think we're going to have a uniquely Australian sort of evolution of the space agency. It's not going to be like NASA, right, where NASA has traditionally funded, you know, massive billion-dollar programs to do specific things, shall we say. I think that the Australian space industry will morph a bit from where it is today, but it's also going to be very involved with fostering commercial opportunities in space. And if you look at the mandate for the agency, it's all about helping industry and helping industry grow capability around space supply chains, around enabling Australian companies to collaborate, you know, with other space companies around the globe. So I think that's sort of the focus for the agency and it it might end up doing some program work as well, but I think that's all in its future. Is there a more specific role for the agency? I mean, yes, it plays a role in, you know, fostering those commercialisation relationships overseas and all that kind of thing. And even, I guess, within Australia uh, between universities and research institutions, is there a more direct role that the agency could play as an innovation hub, maybe even as a funder, you know, not to the extent that NASA does, obviously, but as a small grants funder of specific projects of either sovereign capability need or, 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 you know, supply chain gaps? Well, I think to your first part of your question on Innovation Hub, that's exactly what the space agency is doing today. It has a program called Moon to Mars, and there's a $150 million funding program there around supply chain and and other capabilities and trailblazer capabilities to help early Australian innovation companies bring capability forward to supply capability into some of the NASA and international collaboration. So it's actually that's actually what it's doing, James. It's sort of that innovation hub in helping fund those early stage companies that are sort of looking for the capital to bridge the chasm, you know, to get something from a low TRL technology readiness level up to the next higher technology readiness level and make it suitable to supply in the space ecosystem. As far as I think the second part of your question goes around other funding, I think we'll wait and see. You know, I think there are lots of industry conversations happening right now. I think the modern manufacturing initiative, the MMI grants that have been coming out are also helping, you know, develop space industry capability here in Australia. You might have seen that recently as part of the first round of the MMI grants. I think it was $14.5 million was granted to three or four Australian space companies helping improve some of that capability. And then even more interestingly, what I'm seeing in the market right now is the 
the second phase of the MMI grants, there's a stream called collaboration. And that collaboration stream is asking Australian companies to work together to put together a much bigger program with more heft behind it because it's actually quite a large funding program. And I'm actually seeing in the space industry here in Australia a number of our leading Australian space companies working together with you know primes and others to put together bids for this collaboration stream. And it's, what it's actually doing is forcing people to talk to each other to figure out how they can get to a better together story, right? Which has typically not always happened in, in a lot of industries where people have been very focused in their narrow component, what they do, sort of the way I describe it, most Australian SMEs are always heads down, bums up, working hard, delivering whatever it is that they do. But this sort of MMI grant process is actually forcing people to stick their heads up and say, actually, what could we do with three other partners together in a more fundamental way to deliver new capability for Australia? And I'm pretty excited about what could come out of those collaboration streams over the next six, 12 months as some of those grants are announced. Yeah, I think that uh, grants program, the guidelines were announced just uh, recently, yesterday, I think. Yeah, that's right. And, and companies have been asked to submit their first step of their proposals by the middle of September, I think is the current date. So interesting things happening there. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, and some of those grants are large, 20 million to 200 million or something. They're, yeah, it's so... Great. And I think that that's a really important point to note, James, that you said it correctly, that 20 to a couple hundred million dollars is actually what's driving because... That's a big pot of money. Yeah. So it's got a lot of people really going like, actually, <laughs> this is really worthwhile us working hard to figure out something we can do together. So that's that's what's got me excited about the collaboration stream. Can you, and I probably should have done my research on this beforehand, but I was very excited about Artemis and you know, the Australian government's Moon to Mars, you know, that program, but it kind of dropped off my radar and it doesn't seem to get a lot of mainstream attention. So where are we up to with Moon to Mars? That seemed an incredible program. Yeah, I mean, Artemis is the NASA program to bring humans back to the moon. And they've got a specific goal to land the first person back on the moon, and, and it'll be a female on the moon by 2024, I think is the exact, I'm just trying to remember, top of my head, something like that. And obviously, as part of that, there was also an agreement, sort of a multinational agreement called the Artemis Accords. Australia is one of the signatories to those accords, which is for the further peaceful commercial exploitation of space. And it's like a coordination program where nations can work together. So, for example, as the moon activities happen over the next 10 years, how we collaboratively exploit, for example, moon resources, because you can imagine if you're starting to put um, missions on the moon, you know, what we call in situ resource extraction, which basically means how can you find water and other things that you need to survive on the moon or energy sources, et cetera, is all has to be sort of done in a collaborative way between all the different missions and countries that ultimately will have activities happening on the moon. So that's sort of the backdrop. And Australia has, through the agency, has a grants program, which I sort of mentioned earlier, the $150 million Moon to Mars grant program, which is for companies in Australia that are building capability, both supply chain to those missions or more fundamental components that will be supplied into those missions. So that's the opportunity for Australian companies to participate in the uh, Moon to Mars initiatives. Okay, talk to me about the structure of main sequence ventures. You mentioned uh, before we started recording the structure of that company kind of originated with a with a pot of money from CSIRO, but most of the capital raised now is private dollars, if I'm right, yes? 
Um, so I wanted to ask you, CSIRO has got a bunch of tech that it would be of interest in very specifically in the Moon to Mars type funding arrangements. So I'm wondering very quickly if you can step through the, the structure of main sequence and then how do you guys reach down into an institution like CSIRO and do they come to you? Do you go to them? What, you know, if something like something that's interesting to a researcher, they might not understand that, wow, this is, this is a very commercializable product. How do you do it? Okay, well, we've got about another hour and a half, so <laughs> good, here we go. All right. Okay. So, so main sequence, we came out of the National Innovation and Science Agenda that the federal government had about five years ago, where it recognised we have great research capability in Australia, not so good commercialization of that research. So the government asked the CSIRO to set up a venture capital fund, and that's who main sequence is. So we're a regular venture capital fund like any other fund that you might be aware of in the marketplace. The difference is that we are backed by the CSIRO. So the CSIRO is known as the general partner behind the fund. To get the fund going, the first fund that we did back in 2017, the federal government and CSIRO kicked in some money to get the fund going, which is initially $100 million. And in our first fund, we then raised an additional $140 million of private capital. So even in our first fund, we had the majority of capital in it was private capital because investors out in the marketplace, uh, both superannuation funds, strategics, I know, saw the opportunity of what we invest in, which is deep tech. So we're looking to take you know, science-enabled, research-enabled companies and take them forward. We also raised our second fund in the market, which we announced back in, in March, which is also of a similar size. It's just over $250 million as a new fund, and that's 100% private capital. So the intent from the government was always to kickstart things by putting some money in to get things going. But we've got now a flywheel effect where investors are seeing the opportunities in deep tech. So the way to think about us is that we're independent, we're a separate venture capital fund, but we are very closely associated with CSIRO, which allows us to use CSIRO scientists for diligence. So when we look at an opportunity, we can usually find a scientist somewhere in CSIRO that's a world expert in that area. So that helps us as we try and figure out investment opportunities. And the CSIRO is also an opportunity for us around deal flow. And we've done about 35 investments so far across both funds. And out of that, about, uh, about six of those companies have originated out of the CSIRO where there's been technology or capability that we've either helped spin out or create a company from core research that's inside CSIRO. That's one of the, the differences between us and a regular fund, that we have that deep research connectivity. Now, you asked about space specifically and how we sort of progress things in the space ecosystem. So the best way for me to describe is what we actually did. So when, when we formed Main Sequence and we had this thematic around space, you know, I looked inside CSIRO and said, well, as you rightly pointed out, CSIRO has a, a bunch of great space assets. The, the Deep Space Tracking Network down at Tidbanilla, Canberra. It has the square kilometre array work that's been going on. It's got a lot of expertise. So one of the first things we did at Main Sequence was we ran a series of industry workshops in collaboration with CSIRO to bring the space ecosystem together. Now, this is actually before the space agency. So we've run about half a dozen workshops. And the first workshop we ran was startups connecting them to CSIRO and looking for how a startup could leverage technology from CSIRO. Then the next workshop we ran was with primes and startups and CSIRO. So how can you know, large US organizations understand what's happening in the space ecosystem here? The next workshop we brought customers in. So what are, who are customers that are needing space technology? So we started bridging all those conversations 
And selfishly for main sequence, we do that because we want to find things to invest in, right? So bringing the ecosystem together, we're starting to see opportunities and startups that are actually investable. And out of that, we have made some investments through that workshop series. And then in parallel to all that, the space agency was formed and it started moving forward as well. So that's how we're, we're probably pretty embedded in the whole space ecosystem through those workshop series, the investments we make, and a lot of the startups in the ecosystem are very familiar with what Main Sequence does. Let's just very quickly walk through your portfolio companies in the space sector. We've mentioned Gilmore Space Technologies is a, is a rocket launch company. Is it Myriota? Myriota is the Myriota. other company. Uh, Myriota is a, um, a satellite IoT or Internet of Things uh, company. And they have a world-leading solution which allows a small sensor that might be the size of my finger talk directly to a satellite. So they solve the problem of, you know, people want to connect and instrument the world. You might have sensors that are in your farm, in water, uh, monitoring location, et cetera. And today in this internet world, it's always been challenging to deploy sensors because you don't know what your coverage has been. Like, have you got cell coverage? Have you got Wi-Fi coverage? Well, when you talk directly to a satellite, you don't need to worry about coverage. So your sensor can be in the ocean anywhere. It could be anywhere in outback Australia. So they're sort of revolutionising the Internet of Things, you know, sensor marketplace. Yeah, yeah, and you've got two others, Quasar and Advanced Navigation. Yeah, so Advanced Navigation, they make inertial navigation systems. So think of it as the black box that sits inside your aircraft or your spacecraft that knows where you are. So it doesn't require GPS, it doesn't need external signals to know where you've moved to. So you imagine in in a spacecraft, it's pretty important to know where it is in orbit and where it's moved, and you don't always have access to other external sources. So they're making uh, those type of sensors, and they're deployed in, in both in spacecraft, aerospace applications today. And then the, the other company, which is uh, brand new this year, is Quasar Satellite Technologies, which is a communications company that's addressing the huge increase in growth and need for satellite downlink capability. We're seeing thousands of new small satellites being launched, you know, annually these days, and these all have to communicate back to the ground. And so there's a bottleneck in ground stations. And so they've developed a technology called phased array, technology which allows effectively, like, think of it as like one dish that can talk to hundreds of satellites at the same time. Whereas today, you typically dedicate a dish per satellite. They allow one dish to talk to multiple satellites. And that's a unique Australian technology that's actually come out of the square kilometre, again, sort of radio astronomy work now being applied in a commercial sense. Yeah, we look forward to a, a lot more commercial enterprises coming out of that venture. You'd think there's a, there's a huge amount of knowledge being gained there. Look, I've just got a couple of areas, other areas I wanted to talk to you about, Martin Dersma from Main Sequence Ventures. Firstly, back on the space industry structural question, I know it sounds very pointy-headed and boring, but this is the stuff we We love, here's a strange question, where is the spiritual home of the space sector in this country? Where is its beating heart? We know that there's a bunch of state governments who are very keen, you know, to grab its slice. Queensland, South Australia, New South Wales, very active. They're all active. So does that, you know, do we end up with that armada of canoes if we split our attention or or should we be focused on one area and get some density of space ventures? The way I think about it is there's actually no one spiritual home, James. We have activities occurring in all the states. And, you know, specifically we have Queensland, which seems to be becoming a focus for launch companies and launch activities, as you highlighted there. 
We've got South Australia, which is you know, sort of getting a lot of the satellite build and defence related activities. And New South Wales seems to have a little bit more of a focus on communications. So I think there's some natural expertise developing in ecosystems and those ecosystems support each other there. And then it's the role of the uh, space agency. I, I like your analogy of canoes. So I think the... That's actually Michael Biersick's, so the armada of canoes. I love that term. Yeah. I think the space agency is like the captain of the armada, helping uh, provide the true north so that they're all navigating, you know, directionally in the right way. Because, you know, I, I, it's the same in the US. You, you think in the US that they've got one place of space. It's not, actually. Their space industry is widely distributed across the East Coast, around the central US, as well as the West Coast. And natural ecosystems develop where you've got a number of companies clustering that are suppliers or delivering capability. And there's, when people ask about where should it be, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's just a natural evolution of ecosystems and like-minded companies cluster together that are supplying components of technology related to that area of focus. Okay. I want to ask you what the biggest impediment is in this country to you know, the successful development of a, a viable and you know, commercially successful space industry. What's getting in the way? Is it access to skills, access to capital, access to markets? What's, what's the biggest impediment you see? I think we've got some pretty good skills coming out of the research out of our universities around people that are graduating from appropriate courses. The skills gap we have is, I suppose, mid-level to late-stage technologists, engineers, etc., that have got existing space experience that might have worked in other space companies. The good news on that side is that, that we actually do have an ability to bring mid-level people in from overseas through the some of the visa programs that are available right now. There's the skilled visa program, and some of our companies have been able to bring people within a couple of weeks once you've identified somebody that you need as a critical resource in your company. So and I think there's a natural opportunity. Many people see Australia as a great place to, to work and live for obvious reasons. It's a destination of choice, and we have a great dysphoria of Australians coming back to Australia. Indeed, the current head of the Australian Space Agency, Enrico Palmero, is uh, an Aussie that worked in the US for many years and has come back to help you know, build the Australian space industry as head of the agency. That's a great example of talent that's coming back here to Australia. So I think that's sort of how we think about it from the talent side. On the capital side, you know, Main Sequence is probably the largest space investor in this part of the world. We have a thematic around it, but other funds are also investing. It's not just Main Sequence. You know, other Australian visas are also working and looking at space opportunities. So together, both what's available domestically as well as what's available internationally. And um, you might have seen, coming back to Gilmore Space, they just did a recent capital raise. It was announced just a month or so ago, and it was actually led by a US investor. So actually, you know, US investors are also seeing the opportunity here in Australia and coming alongside. So I think we've got generally available capital, both domestic and international, that can be applied, you know, to our space industry. I think the opportunity I see is developing more sovereign capability in Australia is through some of the announced government programs. You might be aware that Defence has announced $280 billion of spend over the next 10 years. And a lot of that is going to be going to sovereign capability, not just a space, it's across a whole range of defence spending. Defence has also announced a number of space programs around communications and other capabilities that Australian companies are vying for. So I think that's the opportunity where there's already existing program dollars that are out there for space capability. The goal is that Australian companies are successful in being suppliers and building some of that capability. 
which then drives up you know space ecosystem capability in general around supply chain space qualified you know engineering space qualified equipment i think that's where i see the opportunity here in australia and that becomes then a flywheel as these companies are supplying these contracts they have more ecosystem companies around them that supply to those companies that then helps build up the sector in general yeah look i can't make the last question about what the biggest impediments are to uh, the space sector let's finish on a uh, more positive note what's your uh what are you looking forward to in the next two or three years? What's the sort of most exciting thing that you think you'll be involved in as we move into this you know, successful space sector? Well, I think obviously I have to talk about some of our investment companies. We're super excited about those. So I think um, what we're going to see here is that, um, you know, within the next couple of years, Gilmore is going to be launching, you know, satellites successfully into orbit. We're going to see Mariota, which is our satellite IoT investment. Their platform is going global. And they'll be delivering a global, you know, IoT platform. It's already in Australia and US and other countries, but it's going to expand even more. So Australia will be at the forefront of the satellite IoT marketplace. We're super excited about that. And then I think the other two companies in our portfolio, uh, Advanced Navigation and Q Control, have just, you may have seen some of the recent announcements about collaboration around quantum-enabled sensors. So I think Australia will be become a leader in quantum-enabled sensing technology that will be applied in space as well. So they're the things that have got me pretty excited about Australia being world leading in those capabilities. Martin Dersma, Main Sequence Ventures, thanks very much for being with me on the Commercial Disco. Thank you very much, James. Really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast. Please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please go over to our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our recent stories on tech, innovation, and public policy. Or you can follow us on social media to ask us any questions or be a guest on the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.